Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. You guys know Sierra got married last year. It's a lot of work. Oh boy, was it. It's a lot to do. And one thing that really helped her figure out what to do first, where to access certain resources, how to get people to know where they were supposed to go for a wedding. Zola. With Zola, you can discover venues and find vendors easily. You can message and book vendors right on their website. And truly, when I say that that was the first part that we had to do and also one of the most intimidating and hardest, it's so nice to just have them all listed right there and be able to talk to them right there and then. They also have free planning tools, which is really helpful because you don't know what you don't know. And if when you go to Zola, you have a guest list manager wedding website templates, a budgeting tool because dang, can a wedding get out of hand real quick? Mm -hmm. It could all eliminate so much stress and you'll save so much time all because it's like a one-stop shop. That's so true. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or on your couch. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. Hey, guys. I'm Jerry. Sierra. I'm Paige. We're ladies, and we're still talking about real shit. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, after yesterday's episode, we're recording this on Wednesday. This is coming out on Friday. Um, we shared a conversation that we had with our friend TKO, Lauren TKO Rohan, and um, Sierra and I kind of mentioned in there that we – we're kind of oblivious to any injustice and racism happening in our hometown. And after releasing it, uh, a girl that we graduated with contacted us and was like, Hey, I'm black. I can tell you <laughs> exactly what was going on. Even if you didn't see it. <laughs> yep. Oh, so Paige is here. Hi. Hi Paige. Hi. <laughs> She had uh, messaged me and sent um, stories saying, hey, do you remember in this grade this happened? Do you remember in the lunchroom this happened? Do you remember this? And I was like, no. Yeah, how we had, do we share we a school? just in a bubble. Yeah, how do we share a school and a classroom and a lunchroom? And I didn't notice, was oblivious. Yeah. So – we wanted to have Paige come on to share some of her experiences and ask her some other questions too, because you come from a different background than Lauren and absolutely different background. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important to share that, like we want to amplify as many black voices as we can. Yes. Yeah, Cause at this point it's kind of like, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. 
It doesn't yep. matter if I'm growing up in an all white town or if somebody grew up in an all black town, like being black, like you experience it everywhere. Right. Yeah. So do you want to share a little bit about your background and where you're from and where you're at now and what you're doing? Sure. Okay. So I was originally born in Canton. Um, I moved to New Philly in fifth grade. I actually went to Sacred Heart in fifth grade. And That's then, not even there anymore. I know. I saw when I was down there, I was like, it doesn't matter. There anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then in sixth grade is when I went, I started going to, you know, the middle school. Um, I moved out of New Philly the moment I was able to. I think I was 17 when I left. <laughs> and I have been all over the place. I've been to Florida, I've been to Maslin, um, I've been to Ravenna, I lived in Akron, and now I'm currently in Cleveland. Um, okay. I have three children. I have a 12-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 5-year-old. I've been married for 10 years. Hell um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> We've only and... been out of high school for 10 years. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So... yeah, I met him straight out of high school. He is from Cleveland. so Awesome. Yes, it's pretty awesome. I was that stay-at-home mom for a while. Then I went back to school, and I'll be getting my nurse license at the end of this month that's amazing <laughs> yay <laughs> bless you yeah <laughs> for wanting to become a healthcare worker in the middle of a pandemic and yes. like- <laughs> dude like it was like okay we were laughing about it because we were in the middle of a class where it was emergency situations and we we're and like as soon as we entered that class we started talking about how the pandemic was about to hit and we're all laughing like, Oh, what are we going to do if like they cancel school? And the teacher's like, that's never going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're doing online clinicals (laughs) online. Like, yeah. Oh (laughs) no. (laughs) And you have a podcast as well. I do. I do. It's called F family values. F is our last name, and we came up the name because we said, fuck family values. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You know, we didn't want to say fuck family values. We wanted to make it creative, so that's what we did. And his his parents weren't for it at first because they were conservative. (laughs) But, you know, they don't have to listen if they don't want to. (laughs) Girl, your husband, is your husband black too? Yes, he is. He is. So I I think, I mean, I know because I've seen pictures of him, but I just wanted, like, hearing that his parents are conservative, I would wonder if people would hear that and be like, is she married to a white man? What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, uh, I joke with him because even though he grew, he grew up in Cleveland, up until, like, a couple years ago, he was a little bit oblivious to, like, what was going on. Because his, you know, his family is so conservative. They stay within themselves, within their own family. You know, he went to a diverse high school. So I think it has a lot to do with the fact that you don't really start. It's not until you get out of that environment in your protective environment and you start venturing out into the world and you start raising kids and you start 
you know, getting into those experiences that you really start saying, oh my God, I haven't been experiencing this my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so like, I'm pro-black, more pro-black than my black husband. <laughs> and I'm biracial. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing we were going to talk about. <laughs> yes, my mom is white and my dad's black. Um, Jonathan, is his, his parents are both black. And he told me yesterday, uh, I'm proud of you. You're my little revolutionary. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my friends says that she's Malcolm X and I'm uh, Malcolm. I, well, she's Martin Luther King and I'm Malcolm X. <laughs> <laughs> Both were needed. Yes, Both exactly. were definitely needed. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, um, one of the first questions was what it was like growing up in an area and going to a school where there were very few other black people. Right. So I moved to New Philly in fifth grade. So I moved from Canton. So up into fifth grade, I actually was in a predominantly black community. Yeah. Um, so the transition from a predominantly black community to a white community community was a big culture shock. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what differentiated me from the, the black kids that, that were in the school is because they grew up in that community. They, you know, that's all they knew. I knew stuff outside of that. I was not a, used to not seeing somebody that looks like me, somebody that talks like me. It had got to the point, like, I remember in begging my mom to buy me a straightener because I felt like my hair wasn't pretty enough because it needed to be straight. That Wow. So it was definitely a culture shock and it was like, I didn't relate to the white people and I didn't relate to the black people in that community. But it wasn't to say that I couldn't because I ended up being friends with everybody. I never stayed within a clique. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I knew everybody, I talked to everybody and, but I, I will say that going to an all white school, sadly had, I had a better advantage than, my black cousins or my, any of my family or anybody that I know that grew up in the, the community that I came from, because yeah. sadly the white community has a better education system. And that's a, essentially why my mom moved me there mm-hmm. because she wanted to give me a better opportunity with education. I actually, I thought about this today because I, I knew we were going to, um, I watched a video on systemic racism. I know you want to men- talk about systemic racism some more. Um, and I was thinking, cause my husband and I lived in Canton for four right. years right. before we moved back home. And I remember saying, I don't care how long we're here, but we need to move before the kids go to school because I want to make sure they're in a better school system. And I didn't think anything of that until I watched this video and they were talking about how the schools are underfunded and because the schools are underfunded, then they're not $3 billion underfunded. Wow. And so I was, (laughs) yeah, that's insane. A lot of money. Yes. And I was obviously aware, not maybe of the financial difference, but I was aware that it was not as good of a school system but I didn't realize why. And then if I look at the population and I look, oh, there's significantly more black kids going to the schools in this area versus mine. Like, 
but no the graduation wonder. rates yeah. right, are so low. <laughs> and right. We never put it together until I, I watched per- your video. Yeah, personally, I knew in high school the difference between the, you know, Stark County and Tuscarawas County because uh, I went to McKinley during a Thanksgiving break with my cousins. Like they had to go to school, so I just joined with them. And just to see the environment that they were learning, it was very sad. They were handed packets and told to work independently by themselves. They had teachers that weren't. Audio cut out for a second, so she's going to try and get re say what she said, but you know technology so (laughs) she was talking about school (laughs) might not have the same effect yes (laughs) so So you were talking about yeah so you were talking about your cousins getting packets in comparison like you would sit there and all these kids are like dispersed everywhere there's not a teacher in sight and they have like these packets like they have a whole bunch of pages to do and nobody in the room teaching. Then we go from that class to a Spanish class. And I realized like, okay, we're halfway through the year. Why is it that they don't know any of this right now? And I start to realize that me going to a white city school, I have a big advantage because our, our classrooms are smaller, our teachers have more of an experience with teaching. I mean, come on, Mr. Bear was a teacher at, at, at the high school and at the college. Right. right. So it was just, you start to realize like, now I understand why the graduation rates are low, why this is happening here, why people in my community don't focus on education. Because I mean, we're us in high school. That's all we, that's all we cared about was going to college, getting yep. grades. Like, that's what we were, it was emphasized in our school. It was not emphasized there. It was come to school, get this done. You graduate, that's good. There was no, well, I want to get you to college. I want to get you to this education. I want to make sure that you see the life. It's like in an urban community, the whole, the whole goal is just to see somebody graduate if that's what they can do to make it, to get them there. Wow. So it seems like the bar for black communities is set much lower than set much, very much lower. Right. And, and I think that it was even worse when they start doing, you know, standardized testing and deciding when they were going to fund, how they were going to fund schools based off that, because horrible. Yeah. Yes, horrible. You get funding based off your scores, but then Ugh. you have situations like they're, like Lauren said, it's stacked up against them. The yep. whole opportunity is not there for them. So it starts from there and it just it goes on from there. How do you get somebody to succeed in life if they're not given the tools? I had a conversation with somebody at my job and she was going on about a lot of things. Like I, I talked about this on my podcast about how black people are their own problem. Uh, we don't we don't teach our children. We don't, we don't encourage them to do this or we don't work with them to do this. But if you're, if you're in a black community, you have to remember that, that the parents, both parents are working and it's not just the black community. It's low, low class working families. It's middle class that they don't have the opportunity to stay home and, and teach their children and work. So those, those children start ended up 
you know, taking care of their and they start worrying about things that shouldn't be worrying about as a child. They start, they have to focus on stuff like that. So our school was based off, okay, well, these teachers cared what, what happens to us afterwards. They, you know, congratulated us on our achievements. We got, you know, rewards for having good grades. Those kids don't get that. They don't, they don't get that type of treatment. And, and it's very sad. Because how do you encourage somebody to do that without the incentives? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and knowing that ultimately the world that they're going into is just another level. That's it's like, you, yeah, you yeah. got out of this one. Congratulations. Like Jumanji. Yeah. It's but, not any and, better and, when you get out. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and there's nobody to teach them that, but their parents. And, and that's sad. We have to that do is. better. We have to. We have to start at the lowest level of the system because we cannot create a productive community without the resources that is given to everybody in this in this country. Yeah, I think it, it's important to acknowledge for everybody that um, this it, it feels like the system is stacked against you from the moment that you go into it. You know what I mean? And it, that's the moment you were born. Yes. That you came out with that brown skin or matter of fact, it's some, and people are going to, they're going to be mad if they hear this, if they're, you know, if they're black and they're listening to this. But at this point in time, we have to realize, and this is what's going to unify us, that if you aren't at the top 1% of this country, oppression affects you, it affects me, and it affects anybody that has not been able to find a good job or that isn't doing something that people think should be more productive. Mm-hmm. I can make $30,000 a year. You can make $30,000 a year. We're still going to have that same oppression from our government unless we change something. And people are going to be mad that I say that because what I was going to say is that when we protest Black Lives Matter, not only do the white people have to understand that that's a a serious message and then we have the white people that's protesting all lives matter. They don't have to be separate protests. They can be one protest. We can say that black lives matter and all lives matter, and we can create one general revolution to create unified and stop the division between the white and black people, because it's not about it. It's about race when it comes to the system, but it doesn't have to be race about us. We have to understand that together we are fighting the same battle. All lives matter and black lives matter. Two protests in one. It's one. We need to come together and stop the division. Yeah. I think the reason that people would have a hard time listening to that is because of the, the fear of white privilege, um, because a lot of the thought is I also experience oppression. I also experience, um, struggle, but what, but you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel guilty. Right. And, and, and that's okay. As long as you acknowledge that, yes, you struggle, but our struggle is not the same. Yeah. Right. And And that's what I, I think, Yeah. When it talks about how, you know, when we're talking about the government and how the government is oppressing 
the working class of America. That's where our struggle is together. I have struggles as a black woman that you can never understand. My yeah. husband has black struggles as a man that I or nor you can understand. Right, right. My children will have struggles. But let's just remember that in order to unify this and become one, we have to fight. You have to fight for my struggles. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand that my struggles are probably going to outweigh your struggles. You're probably going to be on top. You are going to get kicked down and get back up as, you know, as easy as you can. But somebody's still going to hold me down no matter how yeah. much achievements I have, no matter the degree I have. That's always going to be a struggle until that is addressed, then we're having a problem. Right. I think that's why this is, um, for me been so it's all I can think about. It's like fully consumed my life. And, me and too. I feel like a little, yes. I feel almost guilty saying that. Cause it's like, it's, I could walk away from it at any time and my life doesn't change cause I'm white. Um, and I recognize that that's a privilege, but, but this is what I was going to say to you, Jerry and Sierra, don't avoid that discomfort. Yeah. Don't, don't think that you're not allowed to feel uncomfortable about that because the biggest conversations start with the uncomfortable situations in the conversations. You can't bring change if you're not uncomfortable. Yeah. So you don't have to say, oh, well, I don't have this. I'm not black, so I can't speak up. But the problem is the reason why black protesting doesn't work is because and it's and it's hard to say this is because we never had enough white people on our side to speak up. Right. Yeah. We're yeah, and We're and that's why. Like I, I recognize that there is oppression in like, um, the distribution of wealth and things like that and healthcare and all and in the homeless population. I, I recognize that there, there's oppression everywhere, but, um, the oppression that you're experiencing, you can't fix, you oh, can't yeah, get out of that. by yourself. Your yes. problem needs to come before mind right now. Yes. 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 And this this is a great way to start that. And yep. I honestly, like as much as it pisses me off to see the things that I see on Facebook or on Twitter, even the news is so one-sided that it pisses you off. The propaganda that they push is really hurtful, but I have right. to, to, to really look and sit here and, and, calm myself down and think rational about this and think Paige it's it's not you against these white people it's it's you against racism it's mm -hmm. you against the system it's you against all of this. it's not a black and white thing it's a black and white versus racism it helping white people understand that racism is not a is a, it's an institution, it's a system, and it's been created from the time that we came here. And individual racial bias is created from that system that was created when we first got here. Mm -hmm. And it's a generation knowledge, and we have to break it. We have to stop and think about, okay, what does it mean to be racist? Stop saying that, oh, I have black friends. I have mm -hmm. black family. Right. I can't be racist. That's telling me that you still don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Because right. you enjoy those people because those are particular black people that you can't look at and think, 
oh, well, they'll never be like that because those are my family. Those are my friends. But right. you can look at the next black person and, and think a very different way. Right. And that's what we call black tokens. Yeah. If you, if you ever go on Twitter, black Twitter will freaking destroy people, okay? <laughs> well, that's why I just saw a Facebook post from another girl, and she was um, another black girl that went to school with us. She was lower um, – like she was younger sister. than us. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm not. But she was in our sister's grade. She was friends with our sister. But she said today kind of the same thing where it's like I had white friends that would tell me, oh, you're not like that. You're you're like the whitest black person I know. And she's like, why? Because I'm educated. Like, don't say that to me because it's but you don't realize racist. what you're saying is racist. Yes. They didn't realize that what they say they were saying was racist. Yeah, because because you have because you have your aggressive racist people that know what I'm about to say is going to piss you off and I want to piss you off and I want to hurt you you have the people. you those are the white supremacists those are mm-hmm. the people that feed on hatred then you have the passive ones you have the people that are ignorant and don't realize that okay that I that offended you but I didn't know it was going to offend you because I'm ignorant to what what it means to be racist without being a straight on racist. Right. right. <laughs> and I think we were kind of talking before we started recording about um, experiences like I had shared in the last podcast that in school, as long as I felt like if I was singing the N word in a song or if I was talking about it amongst friends, even with black girls present. If because they didn't correct me or because they didn't call me out on it and they were laughing along, um, they knew I didn't mean it, so it was fine. Right. And what's going to shock you, Jerry, is that so many black people allow their like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never been the type of person, and I've never surrounded myself with the black people that allowed people to say stuff like that. But it happens. They they get comfortable and, you know, I don't I don't know what if they want to just be part of something or what it is. But we we, we can't we can't accept that. We can't allow because that is what cultural appropriation is, is for me to be able to say something. And and you think it's okay? That, again, is white privilege. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's what she was sharing in her post is she's like, I didn't correct you then, but that's cause I, I didn't think about it. I was, yeah. I didn't realize that I was experiencing racism by having you guys do that. And I wonder if that's just because of what you were saying that they grew up here, they grew up in a predominantly white area. And so their view of racism was different and their view of prejudice was different than what you saw coming from a predominantly black area or a more culturally diverse area. Right. Right. I I agree. And I want to say that probably the majority of the time they just didn't understand what racism is. But if somebody just flat out calls you a nigger, that, that is them. Right. Knowing exactly what it is, what, what's going to hurt you. Right. Something I I wanted. Sorry, go ahead, Paige. Oh, I was going to just say that, like, 
when it that I think it frustrates me the most is when um, the argument comes up that black people say, you know, the N word. Why can't we say the N word? I was just, that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got there. <laughs> but to understand the history with the word, like mm-hmm. the history of the word was used to suppress, like to cause oppression towards us. It was used to make us feel inferior. If I take back that word, I take back the power. Right. Yeah. I take back the, the hurt that comes along with it. And I, I, I use this example, like, okay, nowadays you see and girls call each other bitch, like, hey, bitch. Mm-hmm. And right. we took back that word because now it doesn't hurt when a man calls us a bitch. Yep. It's, it's a, a form of taking back power. And, and black people have gradually been able to do that over time just by that. And that's why you can't say that word is because amongst us, it's not, it's not meant as something bad. It's not meant to cause somebody to feel inferior. It is, it's us something that you should have never used against us. Right. Right. And you should never be able to use it again. My, my beef with people who use it or have the argument of, well, they use it they call each other that they, um, use but it. Why in do you want to say it so bad? Why, well, why? That's my thing. That's my thing is why are you so attached to, to a that word, word that you want to use it? Even when, if it doesn't mean something bad, Right. if, if I tell you, um, and I know I brought this up in the last one, but the R word, um, Oh, I hate the word too. So I work with MRDD. Yep. Yeah. I, I taught, um, special needs and I would, if I heard kids say it, they did push ups. <laughs> and it's the, the thing is, is, cause you hear people say it and they say things like, well, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean it in reference or I don't mean it in a derogatory way. It doesn't matter. You don't get to decide how it's received and you don't get to keep using it and, and See, for your, putting it, your gain because you feel right. better because you get to use it. That That's not, yeah. that's not your choice to make. And ultimately what you're saying is me being allowed to use this word is more important than how it makes you feel. I'm choosing a word over you, over over your feelings. feelings. Over your feelings. And and essentially that's telling me that you don't even look at me as a person. You don't even look at me as a human. You have no human decency to even care or even ask. Yeah. Again, that, and I, I hate to keep saying it, but it is, it's white privilege. It's the feeling that, I should be able to do that too. You could do that. I should be able to do that. It's right. okay yeah. for me to do that. But it's well, I know, I know this question has gone on so long, but I was <laughs> want to branch off on that because I have been seeing so many people recently, all white people, of course, with what's going on right now. And they're like, when can we get back to normal? Basically saying like, I'm, I don't like the feeling that I'm feeling right now that this is oh, making me feel. And it's like, that discomfort. Yes. please do it because I've been feeling this for 29 years. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I want to be like, I'm okay with having this week. I will not lie. I have been anxious every single day. I haven't been able to sleep. It's been hard for me to eat. Obviously I've been on Facebook like, blah, 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 you know, but like, <laughs> you know, Paige. Exhausted. Exhausted. I'm saying <laughs> So, but I am, I want, if that means if this amount of discomfort that I am feeling makes a change so that you don't have to feel it as much, 
then it's worth it for me. And I don't understand why, I guess I don't understand why everybody isn't seeing it this, that way, but maybe they don't go ahead. It's a a history. I mean, it's history white or time addressing race. They Mm -hmm. deflect the issue over and over again. And that's where the term white fragility comes from. It's a person that wants to acknowledge that racism exists, but they don't want to endure the stress or the discomfort of talking about it. They want to ignore it. They want to, you know, walk away from it. Or they'll say that I stand with you, but as soon as you call them out on something that might be a little bit racial or it comes off as them being racist, they they hit you with things like, oh, I'm not racist. I can't be racist. Or they say things like, not all people are, not all white people are like that. I'm not like that. Right. Or they say things like, well, black people are racist too. And deflection. <laughs> deflection. And, and white fragility is just the, the inability to endure the same stress about racial injustice that I have been feeling my whole life. Yeah. I will be honest. Um, so we sent Paige some questions and we're kind of like answering them without asking them it through this <laughs> yeah. discussion, um, which I think is awesome. I th- Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that Paige had sent us is about white fragility and I'll be, I'm going to be completely transparent. I had no idea what white fragility was. I know that there's a book. Um, I bought the book. (laughs) Um, It's a really good book, (laughs) but I didn't know. I had never heard that term. I'd heard white privilege. I'd heard reverse racism. I had heard, um, which reverse racism doesn't exist, but <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, I had heard some of those terms, but I had never heard of white fragility before. So I was that most of my day was like spent trying to educate myself on what the hell white fragility was. And what's so it, sad is that I knew it. I knew it as soon as I asked that question. She's about to have to research this over and over yeah. again. Because well, it's thank you deep. for that. It really is deep because you really have to get into have to understand why racism hasn't been addressed before it's because of that inability to understand or even connect emotionally because of the discomfort that somebody feels when they talk about something right yeah and i i hear things about um like white privilege or racism and i automatically create a separation between me as a white person and them as white people. And something that I came across today was that that thought is actually damaging to the movement itself because you need to realize you need to generalize white people as white people, because even though I don't agree with the system, it's still my responsibility to dismantle the system. And if I separate myself from that group, how am I supposed to do that? Who am I relying on now to dismantle it? Yeah, right. Exactly. Just it becomes silence all over again. Right. Mm-hmm. It's counterproductive. And like I realize now that me saying I'm not racist and I disagree with that. And oh, I I want black people to be equal and I want to make sure that these changes happen. But how are you gonna make sure those changes happen if you're not infiltrating the, the system itself? Right. Yes. And the people that are relying on that system to keep on working because, I mean, let's be honest, people, they thrive off that system. They, it keeps, it keeps the division or, and it's a bigger issue. Like the government itself 
encourages that division. Every time they get out and speak about this, the fact that they they keep calling it a riot. Right. It, and not a protest. I don't see anybody on Facebook or on Twitter when these white supremacists were storming the capitals and Governor Manchin of Ohio directors home with armed guns. They weren't called riots. They yep. weren't antagonized. They weren't they weren't the cops weren't going out there and being ready to dismantle the whole thing. They were praised. Mm-hmm. They were very good people. Yeah. But and they as, got their way pretty fast. Oh, yep. Did, did they? I mean, I'm talking about like maybe what, four days? The government right. decided to cave right in. And I, honestly, I think Governor DeWine has won my vote for the most part. Right. <laughs> I will say that. I know this is not about that, but. Yeah. I no, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like. You see that happening, and nobody was outraged about that. People were supporting it. Yeah, open the businesses back up. Yeah, but let's that's talk their about constitutional the right. Issue. As soon as they started releasing the fact that the pandemic affected blacks at a higher rate than people, all we started hearing about is let's open these businesses back up. Let's get the economy back up. We completely ignored the fact that they're talking about the disparities in the black community right now, right now. Right. It, it Between the, the pandemic and what happened with all of that and what happened with George Floyd, that was the tipping, the tipping yeah. iceberg. Like it, it, it cracked. It was like the Titanic hitting the freaking iceberg right there. It all yeah, right. <laughs> and I'll be right, honest, see, I'm surprised it took it as long as it did. Well, that's what I was going to say. Seeing posts of people being like, oh, is this a way to um, honor George Floyd's death? We oh. we know that what happened to that man is wrong, but sh- is this the right way? It's not yes. Just about. What, yeah, it's not just it about clear. that one death. I'm, I just want to make it clear. George Floyd was the camel, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yes. You guys got fired up about this. We've mm-hmm. been fired up. Yep. We was fired up when Ferguson happened. And if I don't know if you guys remember, but that was a riot. Yes. That was yeah. that was burning the place to the ground. And they did the same thing. Set in troops in there, tear gas them, make it set in curfews and all that because people get scared when people want a change as big as this. Yeah, you right. get scared, and it is a movement. It's it's deeper than somebody wanting to open an economy back up. It's so much deeper because this, at the end of the day, is going to start another revolution. And and I'm glad you said that, Jerry, about people saying what George Floyd's family. I'm sorry, but what about Tamir Rice's family? Yeah. What about Trayvon Martin's family? What about Michael Brown's family? What about every person that lost somebody? Have you asked them if they? would like to see the country burned to the ground because I know right. if my child died, if my husband died, you wouldn't stop me. There would, there would be no end to my rage. Right. And that's don't condemn anger. You have, you have to accept that this hurts, that this is angry. This is, this hurts. It yeah. hurts to see that it took all this for everybody to see what's going on. 
I I read something the other day from a psychologist. She put it up and she was like, what is happening right now is a trauma. It's it's a trauma response. What is going on is exactly like what happens when somebody in an abusive relationship is abused time over time, over time, over time, over time, and they let it keep happening. And then finally that person snaps. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, she was crazy. Why, yeah. why did she do that? Why was she? What, what happened? Yes. And it's like you you sat there and you kicked that person and you kicked that person and you kicked that person while they were down. And then they turned around and they hit back. And now all of a sudden oh, they're, they're the aggressor. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it is. It's a trauma response. And a lot of times anger is a normal trauma response. Yes, because I mean, come on, we all know that anger is a secondary emotion. It's yes. easier to be angry. It's e- it's easier to and then to be sad and cry. But as history shows, nothing gets done unless you're angry. Right? Yeah. And people keep quoting <laughs> Martin Luther King. You sent me a question about what 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 is so disheartening about this, Martin Luther King when a white person comes at me and quotes him to push their agenda, Mm -hmm. it pisses me off because for one, you're whitewash white washing history to fit your agenda. Second of all, you obviously didn't know anything about Martin Luther King jr. Because like Lauren said, when it came to the riots at the end of the day, wasn't working. They were being tear gassed. They were water hosing them. They were marching and they were killing people. He said, I cannot condemn riots without condemning the system itself. Right. Yes. And at the end of the day, Martin Luther King Jr. died at the hands of our government. Mm -hmm. We learn about Martin Luther King Jr. and the peaceful protests because that is a way to silence a real revolution. He was the leader of the civil rights movement, but he wasn't the only leader. Civil disobedience had a big hand in that. And we don't talk about that because the government doesn't want you to realize that when you get angry and you start rioting and destroying shit, shit happens. Yeah. Things change. Reform happens. And we know that because as soon as they start, they, they, they quote Junior, but they don't talk about what happened after he was killed. Yeah. Holy week uprising. Holy Week Uprising is when the country went in an uproar and started tearing shit down. Yep, right. And if you want to think of it this way, George Floyd was a Martin Luther King Jr. Because we don't have an organizer right now that is organizing our protest or that is fighting for us right now. All we have is our communities and the people standing together. And if George Floyd, that's what caused it all to happen. He is the person that had to be sacrificed in their eyes for this to happen. And that's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. My problem with people using Martin Luther King Jr.'s image and his words right now is I, I want those people who are sharing those pictures to transport themselves back into that moment and ask themselves, honestly, would you be standing behind him in that photo? Or would you be saying that the people releasing the dogs and spraying them with water hoses were just doing their job? Yep. And if they just would have complied, then they wouldn't have had that happen. If you can't say that, if you're going to sit here and say that you'd be behind that peaceful protest, you'd be in that picture walking behind him. Then why aren't you now? Exactly. And 
peaceful protest. That's all. That's another thing I keep hearing about it. Why can't you be peaceful? I'm sorry. Was me throwing my fist up not peaceful? Me yeah. shouting Black Lives Matter, was that not peaceful? Us kneeling on our knees and basically praying for you to make a change, was that not peaceful enough for you? Because I'm sorry, peaceful isn't working right now. Yeah, you, I mean, it's been going on for how many years that we've had, th th that this topic has been around and still the, nothing. The first time, and I, I was oblivious. I heard about situations with police and, and honestly, thinking about it, I, I had my own run-ins with the police. When I was in high school, again, somebody called me the N-word. Girl pushed me down on the bus, and I turned around and punched her, and I'm not saying that <laughs> that was right. <laughs> right. But you're angry in the moment, and all you keep thinking is, like, why? Why do you keep doing this? Why do you mm -hmm. keep coming at me with this? I'm not coming at you with that. And so when you, you hit somebody and ha there happened to be a cop right there when I hit her and I'm trying to explain to the cop what's going on and he looks at me in the face and he says, why every time one of y'all get in a fight with somebody, it's because y'all say somebody called you an N-word. Wow. And that moment, I knew that I had no allies. It didn't matter. Right. I was always the aggressor. Mm. And so... I started reflecting back on stuff, looking at what's going on right now and starting to realize like, man, like I really did know about this. It's just, of course, I didn't see nobody die or I wasn't pulled out my car and treated like that. But things that they say, like thanking me for being respectful. Why do you have to thank me for being respectful? Yep. I've never Are heard you, that. Have me you either. Yeah, I was saying, have you heard that? No. Nope. Oh, I heard it on so many occasions. They come to your car already assuming that you're going to be aggressive with their. They already have their guard up. And wow. that is scary because now I have to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. and I got to make sure that I don't say anything. I have to make sure that, you know, they, I'm not giving them a reason to do anything as if they don't, as if they need a reason. Right. But in your mind, all you keep thinking is I can't give them a reason to do anything. Can't give them a reason to do anything. But Tamir Rice, when he got shot in Cleveland, I was living here. Yeah. And that's when I became outraged and I started posting on Facebook and on Twitter because all I could think about is my son. Yes. Right. All I could think about is at the time, he was, what, two, three? He might have been four, but all I kept thinking about is that I can't even allow my son to go outside and play with a toy gun. Mm -hmm. I don't have the luxury of teaching my children to go hunt because, God forbid, if a black man has a gun. Yeah. But, like, that's scary to think that a child gets shot like that. Yeah, And somebody could call and be like, oh, he's pointing a gun at somebody. And they would believe that. And they would pull up. And in that video, within two minutes, not even two minutes, I think it was like three seconds or something, they pulled up super close to him and they shot him dead on. And then they went over and inspected him. 
Why is that okay? And people should have been outraged when they saw that happen, when they saw the videos of Sandra Bland happen, when they saw all of these videos. But all they ever ask is, well, what happened before that? Yes. Why is he walking around with a toy gun? Was your son allowed to walk around with a toy gun? Because I I can't buy toy guns for my son. Even in today's society, I can't do that. That was what makes me literally sick to my stomach when I think about this, because my son loves guns. Like he's all about Nerf guns and all that stuff. And I I said that to my mom when this whole thing started off. I was like, my son, if he was a different color, I I've never had to fear for him being outside playing with those Nerf guns ever. And they make toy guns look very realistic nowadays. Let's be real. Like, yeah. Why? Why? Literally look real. That's what, and I think Tamir Rice had like a, it was like a BB gun or like yeah, a and, uh, airsoft and he had, gun. Yeah, he had took the little orange thing off so they yeah. could distinguish it. But the cops that, you know, before that, they didn't even see what type of gun is. They went right. on the call. They yep. called said, oh, but when they heard the call again, the guy says, oh, there's a kid out there, you know, pointing a gun at somebody. I'm pretty sure it's fake. Really? He says in the call, he's pretty sure that it's fake. <sighs> And that is what's upsetting is that you, the dispatcher, didn't even release that part of the information. Oh, wow. And and I read something that, like, the first thing that we need to do in in police reform is to teach them better tactics. They spend so much time on how to shoot somebody and stuff, but they don't focus on, like, their own racial bias. Or de-escalation or things like that. Yes, or scoping out a situation to make sure that the the scene is safe. When did that stop being a normal thing? You never run into a situation without knowing what the situation is. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Breonna Taylor could have been completely avoided. That entire thing could have been completely avoided had they had... Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, made themselves known. Right. I mean, what? come on. That's- it's a SWAT team. You can't tell, like, what kind of training does a SWAT team have? How do you mess up that bad? Yeah. Uh, something that I, because I'm someone who I really want to play devil's advocate in my mind. I know that people are going to come at me with certain questions and I know that they're going to, um, respond back with things. And I don't ever want to do damage to a movement by not having something prepared or not having already thought of whatever question you're going to ask me. And one of the things I see all the time is like, you know, yeah, this, what happened to this man is not right, but is breaking property. And that's something I sat with all the, yeah, obviously if I have to explain to you that a human life means more than property that I don't know why this is a conversation, <laughs> yes. but First of for all, the sake of it, said that we agreed with it. Who said that? Right. Who, yes. Which, which person of my, he came out and said, you know what? That's okay. Right. That's yeah. Not, but no one has. This this is the problem. You say, okay, what happened to George Floyd is sad, but so is looting. But you're supposed to say, listen, yep. looting's bad, but that's fucking terrible what happened to George Floyd. Fuck it. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. That life comes first. That life should absolutely be part of this. Yes. I was trying to put myself in a position of someone who would be 
feeling that level of outrage to just go and break shit. Yeah. And haven't you ever felt that in your life? Haven't you been so mad about something that just threw Well, that's, that's what, that's where I got when I sat and was thinking. And I was like, when someone finds out that they have terminal cancer or terminal anything, that their life is going to end, it's inevitable, short period of time. They do shit that looks irresponsible to other people. Right. They spend every dollar they have. They max out credit cards. They go, go skydiving, skydiving. <laughs> Rocky yeah. Mountain climbing, any other thing that, what's that guy? Tim McGraw says in his song. You <laughs> 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 do all that shit <laughs> that like to other people might look dangerous and, um, irresponsible, reckless, reckless. And I thought, what if my skin color felt terminal? Right. What if exactly? What if being black felt like my life could be over at any cent at any second? Yeah. That it's inevitable. And so if I break shit, are you gonna see me now? What is it? And if you don't, does it matter? Because I'm gonna end up dead anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Because that's the bigger message. Like you can rebuild the city. You can fix a broken window. You can take all the money you get from all this funding and replace those police cars. Mm-hmm. But you cannot bring back a life. Yeah. You cannot change what happened. I saw something on Facebook and I I was like, <laughs> I just started laughing because it was like, okay, so... It's not right to go loot and destroy buildings because George Floyd died. It wasn't right to go to Iraq because they bombed 9-11 or 9-11 happened or something like that. But it was like just yeah, that's a whole happened. lot of property damage over in the Middle East. <laughs> that's yeah, why don't, why don't we care so okay much about that? that violence. We're, uh-huh. we're a country that is built on overtaking a whole other countries. We're okay exactly with violence it. when it comes to other lives, but mm-hmm. if it's uncomfortable in our backyard, then oh, we got to condemn that. We can't. We can't let that happen. We can't right. let yes. foreign terrorism happen, but we can be okay with somebody shooting up a black church, right? Right. Or lighting it on fire when everyone's inside. Thank you. Or shooting up an elementary school, because ultimately, have you ever heard a black person do something like that? Right. I mean, honestly, have you? No, you're absolutely right. But we're always criminalized. That's the problem that we're seen as criminals. We're seen as aggressive. And it's easy for some testers and just think, yeah, I know it's going to get violent because those people are just violent people. Because you asked that question of us, too. You asked, um, let me read what you had sent. You asked, oh, crap, where'd it go? Oh, I- if not, I have it. Hold on. Um, look at me. I'm like, I have it. Okay. It says, <laughs> um, when we look at what's going on with the protests, we see that the media associates violence with it. How do you think this incorporates the idea that black people are known to be aggressive? Have you ever unknowingly been around a black man and subconsciously been afraid? Uh, I, I don't know why. I feel like black people are aggressive. But when I read that question, I was like, I guess I, if I, 
I, I never Go questioned ahead. that. Yeah. I never questioned that. Um, what's the word adjective? I never questioned that adjective when it was attached to someone who was black and I don't know why. Yeah. Right. And, and I'll be honest. I, I, the same thing I want, like, I want to say that I no, no way, not me, but, um, but I the absolutely, reality is I know, I yes. know. I, I well, when, that's when you asked that question. I was like, she knows the answer to this. <laughs> I told Sierra whenever I was sending them last night, I was like, she is coming for us. I need you to know <laughs> she already knows the answer and she's coming for us. And I'm not going to get on there and pretend to like, be some white because savior. You have to be transparent. Yes. If I say to you, have you ever been afraid of a black man for no reason? And you tell me, no, I know you're lying because yeah. The whole world looks at him as that. Yeah. But that's the, the question we need to sit with. My husband. Yeah, that's my husband. I look at him. I see, I don't see what you see. Right. Right. But I, that is a question that like, I felt uncomfortable, answer. but if I don't, if I don't answer it honestly and I don't sit there and ask myself, why do I feel like black people are aggressive? Why yes. do I feel like, uh, at times afraid of a black man? Why why do I feel that? Where did that come from? If I don't sit in that and ask that, then we can't fix it. Right. And, and I, I, hope, I hope that other people will hear that and then ask themselves. And I want, I, I want people to know that it's okay to, to yeah, to it, at least it, acknowledge it, it. At least acknowledge that subconsciously you feel like that, whether or not you wanted to feel like that, something happened for you to feel like that. And it's not your fault that you feel like that. That's but it exactly is it. your fault if you don't acknowledge it and don't change that way of thinking. We right. all know learned behavior is very hard to unlearn, mm -hmm. but you have to take those strides to realize as soon as you start thinking that, stop thinking that that's not true. That's not, yeah. that's, that's not what this is because a black man is seen as aggressive, but he's not, he's just like your husband. He's just like that man over there. He's just like your grandpa. He's just like your cousin. He's, he's oh, the my same grandpa's person. aggressive. <laughs> but I'm saying, but they're not. <laughs> you know, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. It's good. But like, as soon as you talk to them, like, bitch, like, right. you know, it's, that's not what this is. And most people are not aggressive unless they're instigated. Right. Provoked in some way. Yes. And that's anyone. That's not just. That's everybody. Right. Yep. Yes. Um, should I, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and ask you another question, but we talked about it a little bit, but when was the first time that you can remember experiencing racism and when was the last time? So the first time I experienced racism was not in our town. It was in Canton and mm -hmm. I was in elementary school. Uh, I was called the N word. And at that time, you know, obviously I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew by this, the, the way they said it, that it was something that be upset about. Right. So I go and ask my aunt and, you know, my mom and my aunt had to sit down and talk to me and my cousins and explain to us what that is. And seeing your, your mom be upset by the fact that she has to explain this is really sad. Because yeah. you, you want to, you know, as being a mom now, you think you can protect your kids from stuff like this. You think you want to believe that by the time that they get to 
that part of their life that they'll never experience that. But my thinking of like that is actually, you know, destructive. It's detrimental to my children to think that I can protect them from that. And the way that I know I can protect them from that is to inform them. And in that moment, that's what my, what my family had to do with us. They had to inform us that, you know, this is what this is. This is where it comes from. This is why you should be upset because you have to teach them why you have to be set upset at that word. You cannot yeah. tolerate that word. And it's a hard conversation that you have to have. And I can only imagine how hard it is for a white woman to teach her black child what that is. Yeah. Without ever having to ever experiencing herself. It's easier for me to explain to my children what this is because I've been there. I've experienced it. I know what to expect. But if you're a a white woman and, you know, if you've never really looked at racism or it's it's never hit home for you, then how do you prepare for that? Yeah. It's it's hard. Did you have to have... um that conversation with, or have you had that conversation with your children? Um, I've seen a lot of people sharing on Facebook, like these are the rules that my mom gave me, um, about how to act when I'm in a store or when I come in contact with a police officer, or if I'm in a neighborhood that I'm not normally in. Um, I didn't have a conversation with my, my youngest, my five-year-old yet. Um, the first time I had the conversation with Khalil, which he's 12 now, is when he was we, he was in school, and this is and this is where I feel like I struggle with a parent because, like you said, you didn't want to you didn't want your child to grow up in a, a black school system because you know of the disadvantages. And me being black, I should be more. Oh, I should. Or society thinks that I should send my children to a black school so they could be around diversity and stuff. But as a parent, you you start thinking of like what outweighs the bad. And and I start to realize now that I I put my children in a white school that that was probably a bad idea. Even though I wanted to hope that maybe because there was more black kids there than I experienced growing up that I should have put them in a more diverse school. But with Khalil, um, kids were picking on him and he got in trouble and the principal told, was telling him that, you know, the next time that you guys are fighting outside of on the school bus like that, the police are going to be involved. And immediately that, that, that triggered me. Yeah. Like, do not call this child. <laughs> right. Please do not. And I had to explain to him, I know that this is going to come off really hard for you to understand, but you will be seen as aggressive. You will be seen differently than your friends. And I know that you don't see that right now, but I need you to understand that it exists. And I had to tell, explain you know, at that time, you know, you already learned about civil rights movement and all that stuff. But just because you learn about civil rights movement, you don't know until you face it. 
So yeah. I had to explain to them, like, you know, this is, people are going to look at you differently because of the color of your skin. And it's nothing to do with you. It's not you. You are a great person. You are a wonderful child. It's not you. And I want you to always remember that it's not you. It's them. And it's right. your skin. And that's not something you can change. And you really can't change how people look at you, but you can change how you react. You can, sad to say this, think before you act. You have to think before you act. You have to think of how will I look like if somebody else was watching this. And it's sad that we have to live in a society like that, but it's true. I have to teach my child how to act in front of other people, how to not come off aggressive, how to interact with police officers. Don't ever move your hands too fast, Khalil. They will shoot you. Ugh. You have to put your hands up when they tell you to put your hands up. Don't not talk back. Do not give them a reason to do anything. You are not allowed to argue with a police officer because you do not have that right. They tell you you have that right of freedom of speech, but you do not have that right. You talking back is the same thing as them saying they felt threatened. Mm -hmm. It was it's hard. It's hard to teach your children stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, it really is. I can hear you getting emotional and like <laughs> it, it, it breaks my heart because I, I was telling Sierra, I was, um, my son is 18 months old and I was getting him dressed the other day. And so like he's learning things and he's, um, speaking more and, I got his clothes ready and I said, arms up. And he put his hands up in the air and I thought, how cute is that? He knows I'm getting him dressed and he knows to put his arms in the air. And then I realized that you teaching your son to put his hands up and me teaching my son to put his hands up have two different, completely different meanings. And I'm so sorry. Oh, you don't sorry <laughs> no i am i'm sorry and i'm angry and that's why yeah that's why we wanted to do zooming us right now yes. Listen, yeah. like, like lauren said this is this is the best thing that you guys can do is start conversations it's it's uncomfortable these conversations are uncomfortable they bring out emotions that you never thought that you would feel but they're necessary. They're absolutely necessary. Like all I, I got goosebumps thinking like when she said, like, if you're silent, I could die. Yeah. Mine's deeper. If you're silent, my child could die. Yeah. My husband could die. My, my family could be ruined. I could be that mom standing on a podium begging for justice to a white society that didn't give a damn about my black family. Yeah. That's hurtful. It, and it, and you're right. It's consuming because you don't want to think about this thing. You want to go back to normal. You want to go back and think about, you know, the good things you want to put yourself back in this bubble and start, stop thinking about all the, the things that are going outside because you feel hopeless. You feel like you can't change nothing. And you get to that point where you're feeling like, I can't think about this anymore because what the hell am I supposed to do about it? But we can. Microactivism is the best thing that any of us can do. 
It takes yeah. little things to make a big. And even if that means sharing something or speaking out against something and it, it means publicly or privately, all of it, all of it makes a difference. Yeah, that's I that was the biggest thing that I was like, I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I need to be doing more. But at the same time, I'm having conversations with family members that I've never had before that I've known that I should have, but I never have. I'm having, you know, there are people, God, I've probably lost a hundred friends on Facebook. That's why I just post on Facebook. Like I guess I've lost friends and gained some new ones. I was like, but at this time, like, I don't think I've ever been so bold about something about this my whole oh, life. I've always been told that you need to simmer it down, yep. stop being so pro-black. You know, that's what's that's what's the problem with society, with you know, with black women. They're too aggressive, they're too this, they're too that. Fuck that. Yeah. Like we need to be bold. They need to hear it. Be real, real loud. And I have never been so proud to be a witness of what's going on right now. Cause never, like I said, in 29 years, that I think that I would be a part of a revolution. Because yes. this is what it is. It's a revolution. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's sad all at the same time, all the emotions that you're feeling right now. But this is history. This is history. And something has to. I don't care if it's just a little bit of hope, but something has to change because of this. Yeah. Something has to. And at the very least, I I mean, I know this won't, it's not enough, but I am at least happy that to see some mindsets have changed. Maybe not all, and uh, definitely not all. Maybe but you I know- haven't seen it, but I have people. Now, I'm not the type to different defriend somebody. Yeah. Because I like to argue, for one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for two, I like to keep my enemies closer. <laughs> yeah, right. So when the whole thing about Colin Kaepernick was happening and my whole Facebook was storming with people that kept telling, saying that they didn't agree with it, that he was disrespectful, this, 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 and that, my whole Facebook, I'm telling you to this day, I maybe had one person and he's from our town show up on my Facebook that was not in agreement with this. Yeah. That is big. Yes. That is huge. And you know, maybe it's because of the, I have more diverse friends. I don't know. I, I I don't know. But I see it. I see it right now. I have friends sending me messages. I could read you a, a message from one of the girls in, in my school that basically just said, I'm sorry that I can walk down the street and my family won't be looked at differently. But you can't do the same thing. Yeah. I'm sorry stuff happens I'm sorry and that's that's what's going to change everything is that we just recognize that this is happening and we have to demand a change as a whole country the whole country has to demand a change and it I'm not talking about cops kneeling with us I'm not talking about cops protesting with us because in my eyes I just see that as a, a tactic to Simmer it down, you guys. Simmer it down. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. I wondered if that was one of the things that you found um, disheartening or uh, counterproductive because as, as wonderful and nice as it is, it 
it makes people be quiet. Like, see, it's all better yes. now. It yes, feels like a Band-Aid on a bullet on a bullet exactly. wound. Exactly. I mean, have you watched cop shows? What do they do in a hostage situation when they when it doesn't result to this? They go in and try to talk it right. down. They are talk us down. Talking us down should not be working right now. We should not be satisfied with that. I'm not sat. At least I'm not satisfied until those police get up, start talking. Give us what you plan on doing with your own police force. We need to erase the blue silence shield because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the brotherhood when it comes to police officers is the problem. They have so much secrecy when it comes to investigating their own police. They don't release their discipline records. They don't do anything. And like you said, Jerry, how do we control the police if they're not policing them, if they are policing themselves? Yeah, right. There has to be somebody that comes in here and looks at this and, and sees the data and they have to be transparent because yeah. otherwise it's just a cycle. We're doing this for no reason. Right. Like the video you, you, you showed me with that, ugh, that man. Oh yeah. That was a question. <laughs> um, before we move on from that, I do want to say like, police officers who are making an effort to do something and and in their hearts are in the right place and want to see change and want to see revolution and want to see reform and want to see change and want to dismantle the systemic racism that's going on. That's incredible. But But, I want to, yes, I don't want you to kneel with me because we tried kneeling. I don't want you to have four of your police officers jump over a fence because this is what happened in Cleveland. They kneeled and people got mad because people told them to get up. I don't want you to kneel. Take off yeah. your shield. Take off your helmet. Take that sniper that's pointing out at me on that building over there. Tell them to back down because you yeah. still look at me as aggressive. You still see this as a threat. Until you get right here and start having real conversations, it's not going to mean anything. Talk to us, have a platform, invite us to the city hall, have your Congress people, your police chief, everybody that's part of the system come to these protests and talk to us. Yeah. Because that's what's going to, that's what needs to be happened. That's what happens. It needs to happen. See what, what concerns me about, um, people, Share and I'm gonna piss people off, but whatever. Um, what concerns me about people sharing those videos and saying this is what we need to see, this is the type of positivity we need in our timeline. No, yeah. what we need to yeah. see is what they've been hiding from us. What yeah. instigates those riots? Show the cop pointing his gun at a little girl. Show at the, the the cops that are tear gassing a protest because a president wants to go and take a Photoshop. Show that. Yeah, because there's more of that going on than the the peaceful cops that want to walk with us. And that's that's what worries me is that the people who are sharing it, I think that I think that they think they're doing the right thing. Um, but if you're uncomfortable by seeing those images, imagine what it's like to live it. And yes. And if a cop is kneeling for nine minutes on a man's neck and doesn't blink an eye that he's being recorded, how comfortable does he have to be in his actions to know that they're going to be shared and not give a shit? Yeah. So because at at this point you have to realize that 
even though you guys just walked into this, this has been going on for a long time. Right. Cops yeah. have been pissed off. Cops yeah. have been mad. Cops are mad that they have to wear cameras. Cops are mad that they are even being scrutinized. They're mad that they that their word isn't even good enough anymore. They're mad. They're mad at the Black Lives Movement. They are mad. And I want to say, that, too, that this is probably triggering for people to hear cops address as a whole thing. And you're going to you're going to have people saying not all cops are bad and but the whole bad apple thing. But the, the same reason I am going to generalize myself as a white person and lump myself in with racist, even though I don't identify as one, is the same reason I need good cops to generalize themselves with bad cops so that they can infiltrate the system and get rid of them yes, so that they can make a stand. Because I, I shared it on my Facebook. If you have a, if you have ten bad cops and a thousand good cops, but none of thousands of cops turn in those ten good cops, you now have a thousand and ten bad cops. Yeah, right. I mean that's how the system works, right? If you, if I come with you, and you kill somebody, I watched it happen. I didn't do anything about it. You get I'm arrested still going too. to be arrested. Yep, I'm right. still going to be charged. I'm still in conspiracy with you. I mean, that's how we have to look at it. And just like when you were, we're arguing with somebody on Sierra's Facebook, I think, and <laughs> we're talking about different professions and how you have bad people in every profession. Well, that's the problem. In every profession, you have some type of system placed in order for you to file a complaint. Me, me come, becoming a nurse, if I kill somebody... You better know it that somebody's coming for my license. Somebody yep. sent me to jail. Yes, you will go to jail if it's bad enough. My fellow nurses are not going to protect me. Yeah. Because we I, have taken an oath to serve community and taken an oath to protect people. And that oath needs to be upheld over loyalty. Yes. At the end of the day. This has like nothing to do with um, what we were just talking about, but it kind of does. It's it's just it's an example of um, accountability in a profession. Okay. So, I was a teacher for five years. I taught special needs for the last four years. I was teaching um, kids who are moderate to severe on the spectrum, which is a whole different thing. But like, they were more. Their disabilities were more severe. They were nonverbal. They were aggressive. They were, um, there was more significant difficulties, physical and intellectual than other kids. And, and I'm sure you were trained to handle when they got aggressive. Well, that's what I'm going to share is (laughs) I had training that I had to attend every single year. And I don't know what cops have to do. I don't know their training, so I'm not going to speak on that. But for me personally, I had to go to training every single year. And I had to learn proper restraints. I had to learn uh, the proper way to engage with a student if they were harming someone else, if they were harming themselves, or if they were to harm me. Um, And I had to learn what my rights were and what my rights weren't. Um, And ultimately, it is my responsibility as the professional to maintain that professionalism and follow through with the training that I had. And... I was pinned against the wall by a six to 200 plus student with autism who had an aggressive past. Right. He was in my face, 
not even an inch from my face saying, I will choke you. I will kill you. And you my, were still held up to that standard of how you were exactly protocol. I did not move. I just kept trying to talk to him. I just yep. kept, I was so scared. I'm going to be honest with you. Terrified. <laughs> I love this kid. I want to say, I love this kid. He's an incredible kid, but I was terrified. Mm-hmm. And I knew that what I, my job in that moment because of my training was to just try and deescalate him with conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though he had me pinned against the wall and was threatening my life. Right. So what I don't understand and what I learned in these trainings is that there were certain restraints that used to be legal that are not legal anymore because yeah, they, they ended up not. killing people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Kids died because of certain things that were protocol. And so guess what? Protocol changed. People were held responsible. That's what I want to happen now. That's what I think this entire thing is to happen now. What's sad is where George Floyd is, that particular is not in their handbook. They are not allowed to use that particular restraint. And it has been shown that if you are an officer to use that particular restraint, you have to have extensive training on that because you have to know that a trachea can be broken. The airway can be obstructive. And there is a certain amount of time before there is irreversible damage to somebody's brain from a lack of oxygen. Yeah. And he completely disregarded human life on the very, very, very first thing, because forget about protocol. Let's just talk about how you handled a a human being crying out to their mom saying, I can't breathe. Yeah. Then you didn't even use proper technique or restraint that you were even taught in your police training. Why did you do it? And what's shocking to me is the four, the the three other people that sat by and watched it happen, who I'm assuming had the same training and knew that what was happening was wrong. You can't see, tell me they see, didn't know. See, you say that's shocking. I don't see it shocking because yeah. to me, I just expect it to happen mm-hmm. because I've never once in my life seen another cop say, you know, correct his partner, correct another cop. They turn around, you know, they, if they disagree, they walk somewhere else or get away from the situation that, that, that is their culture, loyalty above everything else. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. And Jerry, you asked about you, you said you don't know a lot about training. I have some really good information for you. So this is what training consists of the hours. So they spend 60 hours in firearm skills. 51 hours in self-defense, eight hours in juveniles, eight hours in domestic preparedness, eight hours in ethics, eight hours in mediation and conflict management. You spend Total, 60 hours. It? Yeah, eight hours, eight hours on those. You spend 60 hours in farm, firearm skills. Our police are trained to kill. Oh, yikes. Yeah, no. We live in a police state. And we found that out when Ferguson riots happened and they showed up with their riot gear. That was the very first time that we found out that our internal police force were armed like they were the military. 
Wow. And then in the CARES Act, everybody keeps saying that they wonder if they knew this was going to happen because they got billions of dollars in the CARES Act that just passed for defense funding for domestic terrorism. That, that, where? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where did you see that coming? Right. <laughs> you had to have known that <laughs> that was coming. See that that all of that tells me like I just think and again what I'm just one person and this is just my opinion so take it with a grain of salt but if it were me I feel like if a teacher has to have a master's degree to teach elementary students or whatever even even a bachelor's four years of education I think somebody who is going to have a firearm and go out and protect and serve should maybe have a little bit more Come on, than those in total. A- 111 hours in training. I had to do more than that to for to Look, be an esthetician. Dude. <laughs> you had to do more than that to whack someone's crotch. Literally. Literally. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That makes able. me feel safe. <laughs> I, uh, dude, like, it, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah. That, if that, people can't that, see that there needs to be a change, and then I don't know, at this point, I don't know what to do for them. But there definitely needs to be. Something. I just hope that if you if you've listened this far and we haven't pissed you off that bad, that um, whatever was so like triggering and making you angry, whatever was happening to make you feel that, I just will you please sit and ask yourself why? Yes. Just just take a minute and ask yourself why you're frustrated or why that makes you angry. I'm not saying you're wrong for feeling your feelings, but just can you try and find the root? Just like I'm going to sit and try and find the root of why I think pe- black people are aggressive or why I've been afraid in situations where I didn't need to be afraid. I yes. There are things that I need to confront about myself. So that you can and, unlearn them. Right. right. And I just if, – if you're struggling, please – ask yourself why, and then please reach out to someone to educate yourself or to, to have a better understanding. Because if you're angry, remember, like Paige said earlier, it's a secondary emotion. Yes. What, what's the first one you're experiencing? Yes. Yeah. So I was, go- I was going to ask more of the questions, but I'm pretty sure that we have answered all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have our one last question. Yeah, girl. Okay. Hit it. You guys. Okay. Hold on. I have to find it. See, we all have to find it because me and Jerry decided to have more conversations <laughs> outside of our planning. <laughs> so I have to go through all these questions and think, of, where did I put that at? That's okay. Okay. So, like I said, this is the last question I want to ask you guys because it's very, very important. Our yeah. president has failed to condemn racism publicly. Instead, he has called protesters thugs. How do you think this terminology has in turn promoted racism? Why do you think he is so known for calling white supremacist groups very good people? And now he wants to declare basically war on American citizens. And do you feel that continues the notion that racism is a condoned part of our American history? And do you think it's going to change? For the first part of it, I would like to say that thank you Paige first of all for educating me because this is what's helping me give this answer but i think 
everything. I didn't realize when he was calling people thugs internally what it was doing. But I think now that I know that right there, the way that he's calling people thugs, protesters thugs, black people thugs, it all goes back to internally making us see black people as being aggressive. Oh making my us God, see black people. <laughs> I feel I like we just so passed proud a test. Of you. Oh my god! <laughs> and you know what? Before we had this discussion, truly, when I read that question, I did not know the answer. But that was like, I think I know it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, yes. wow, that is just like another. Re- now I'm because I'm thinking, why do I feel this way? And it's little subliminal things like that. Yes, yeah. that keeps it going. That keep and it is a form. I just want to just keep emphasizing is a form to create the division. Even with the fact that they keep on saying, which is true. I'm not I'm not going to say that it's not true because I have seen instances where the you know the white supremacists are coming to the protest and hijacking it. Yes. But the fact that he came up and said this is what this is what pissed me off is when he said he is declaring Antifa as an organized terrorist group. Mm-hmm. Now, Antifa is not an organized group. Antifa right. is anybody that believes that fascism is wrong. How do you declare war and decide that they are terrorists because they don't want racism to continue? Right. And it's, why it's a fear it's okay thing. Yes. Because, it's a lack of education and fear. Yes, yes, because if people don't understand that Antifa is not an organization, they are more prone to believe that these protesters are the problem. They must be an organized group and they must be terrorists. Because and they must all identify as this thing. Yes, mm-hmm. but Trump has never got on and said, I declare the KKK a terrorist group. Yeah. Wow. I declare white supremacy a terrorist, a domestic terrorism in our country. Never well, that's why I keep thinking back to, um, I think it was Charlottesville, whenever yes. they- that woman was, That's what I'm talking about. Yes. yes. It is they when, killed somebody. Yeah. They ran and, somebody over, a mm-hmm. lady. They ran her over. Right. And you know what he said? There's very good people on, on both sides. On the, the, the right side. And and by saying that, you can see the pictures. There were literal Nazis there. Yes, and what they were doing was protesting the Black Lives Movement. Yep. And in that sentence, he basically said that I'm not supporting Black Lives Movement, but we will continue white supremacy. Wow. And and I don't know if you guys remember this, but going back to our childhood, do you remember the parade? downtown uh, yes. we were i was just gonna bring that up <laughs> see there were so many things that i think i blocked out me too um, that after we talked to lauren we were like holy shit there were nazis in the town square at one point in time <laughs> and everyone drove by like they were an exhibit i was down there oh my god i was down there yelling i was down there and Paige, I, that I, does not surprise me at all <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it was just a couple black and i don't remember now, I want to say his name, but we only had about two black, three black guys in the whole school. But this right. was more of the black, black guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That everybody wanted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, he was down there with me. And yeah. 
the cops were protecting the neo Nazis in our town square. Wow. And they got in his face when he started <gasps> yelling at him. And I remember stepping in front of him. Okay, like, no. <laughs> yeah. You need to condemn that over there. Why is that okay? Yeah. And that I, was just, and I that was, was a, like, that was my very first, first protest. I know it wasn't big, but that's where I, big I, enough. I, I knew that I have to have some type of voice somewhere. <laughs> yes. That was, a, that was the thing that I had to, when I was speaking to family members, because they were talking about the protest and, oh, Sierra, if I was going to that protest in New Philly, um, and they were like, you know, it's going to be a riot, which was what pissed me off the most is how people automatically assumed that because it was a protest, it was going to end in like some kind of because destruction. Black. Right. Protest. Right. Because it's a black protest. But if, but when have we ever been so bold to go storm another person's protest? Like that's right. And of white people, they always have an anti-protest to our protest. Yes. Black lives matter. Oh, no, all lives matter. Like, why? <laughs> Not to mention these same people that were worried about it escalating into anger and stuff said literally nothing when Nazis were standing in our square. Exactly. And, and, and the black people didn't incite any violence then. Nope. We wanted to. Yeah. But we, but we have been programmed to be fearful of the police. Yeah. You know, and, and there is a question that you asked me about, you know, the, about proximity and how people downplay Bruce, police brutality. And the answer to that is, honestly, it's, it's deeper than that. It goes down to history. It goes down to how black people have been treated by the police over history. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes back to being the civil rights movement it goes back to being hung you know because i'm you know and then no justice when when things happen to us we have no trust in the police brutality and police system period you guys never experienced it on a level that we've experienced so you automatically have a natural trust and want to believe that they are here to protect you and that's it's not wrong to want to believe that yeah because we all want to believe that that we want to be safe, but you have a safety net that has protected you because you've never had to think of it the way that we've thought about it. And it's just been a, a long drawn on history of that distrust in the police system. I don't think it has to do with where you grew up. I don't think it has to do with the area that you grew up. Just that natural distrust, distrust. And when we distrust, distrust the police, in turn, they are aggressive. Yeah. It's a cycle. Yeah. So if, if I live in a white town and some black people come in, the police are going to be like, oh, my gosh, they're here to, you know, cause some some problems because they're, you know, they're trained to think like that. They, that's history. Right. And I think a lot of times it, they might not even know it inside of them, but it no. is there. And that's a, another thing that has to become has to be incorporated in the police reform is that they need to have some type of, you know, person come in and evaluate their racial biases. I agree. And, and teach them how to not look at a person's skin before they re not at, before they react. Because yeah. there was also a study that, you know, even though they said that they when they did a shooting stimulation, they were more 
they're more prone to, sh- to shoot to kill black people on the shooting stimulation. So it wasn't that they weren't shooting them any differently than shooting black people, but they aim to kill at the black person because it go- wow. again, it goes back to that aggressive that they think that they are more aggressive than anything, even unarmed. Yeah. Now that's a problem. If I can look at a black man and think he's more aggressive than this man standing and pointing a gun at me, this white man, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder too, if they see themselves in the white person and so they feel that they less. Yeah, yeah. Where they, I, they see different. They see that's scary when it's not, when it doesn't look like me, you know? Exactly. And that goes back to, you know, to history. Right. Lots, lots of history. Like, come on. We're, did you know that people are, are spiders? It's not actually a phobia that that we learned. We were already born with that phobia. Of oh, wow. spiders? Yeah. But it's I'm a, afraid it's of a, spiders. Well, <laughs> well natural. Re- okay. So if you see like a, a, a real <laughs> scary spider. Like something like, <laughs> not like a little tiny spider, but like not like a know, little bitch baby spider, like no, a not like a, but like, just like a fucking so spider. You would, spider. You, you would have like an instinctual. Yeah, you would have instinct to either flight yeah. or fight, kill it yeah. or run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that a lot of people learn to not be afraid of spiders, but I even see that with my children; yeah. they're immediately afraid of spiders. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's like a generational knowledge; like it just comes back up from those years of whatever happened with spiders back then yeah right (laughs) it's the same thing with with people yeah (laughs) like you just learn those behaviors over and over and over and over again until it's just like grained in us yeah there's gotta be a there's gotta be a stop to it yeah but it is our job to it is things by asking ourselves hard questions and educating ourselves so um i Paige, i want to thank you so much for taking time to educate us and have this conversation with us and reaching out in general to say like, Hey, I want to also be a voice. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's awesome that, you know, you reach back and you guys are doing this. This is very great. I, I appreciate it. I think I could speak for my community <laughs> yeah. that we appreciate this. We need this. We, besides the protest and the rioting, we need some positivity too, because, there has to be something, like I said, something that good that comes out of this. Yeah. And I really appreciate the how receptive you guys have been with the the transparency and really looking into yourself and realizing that even though I asked these questions and knew the answers to it, that I needed you to know the answers as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And thank, thank you so you. much for the questions you asked because it, yeah. it it made me think more and more deeply, and that's what I wanted. And I'm so proud of you guys. Thank you. you. At the end of this, it was just like a yes, an aha uh-huh moment. It really <laughs> like, was. Oh. <laughs> we, that was just exciting. Yes. Exciting for me. Thank you uh, so much. I Thank you. Um, everyone, go subscribe to Paige and her husband's podcast, um, F Family Values, so that you can keep following them and listen to everything that they already have up. Um, and we'll thank you. you guys. We'll get back there. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you and, so much. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, again, sorry if we pissed you off, but also not sorry. I hope, I hope you, 
uh, reflect and uh, we'll be back again, hopefully with more. Yes. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys. We're out. Goodbye. is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.